Yo, this is Pastor Tito, and welcome to the Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find Jesus and follow him. This year, me and my wife had the pleasure, the honor to travel with some people over here to Israel, right? That was a, that was a great monumental moment. Uh, still can't believe, almost feels like a dream that that happened. But uh, that was really cool. And, and one of the things that we did was we got to ride a camel, all right? And now th- we... My wife and I were very nervous. I'd never done that before. We had never done a tandem camel ride before. And we were very nervous because we did not want to end up on YouTube like these people. And so I don't know if you've seen this video before. You want to put it really quick? These individuals, poor guy. I mean, oh, my gosh. God bless them. All right. This was our fear in that at some point when the camel was going to go up, it was going to struggle with me and my wife on top. All right. And so have, has anyone ever seen this video before? I mean, we're not going to watch it its entirety because it is just brutal, Um, but I just got to give props to my man there. Listen, my man's back, my man's back must be made out of steel. I mean, look at, bro, poor camel though. Look, Look at his back. Bro, he, he looks like at the, the, those things at the front of a pirate ship, you know, just all like curved like that. I mean, bro, it's, man, it's, it's, so that was our fear. All right, the camel couldn't make it. Look, he's going to give up. The camel could not make it. So this was us. So me and Alicia goes. And so we had our fear. If you could put our video up now. And so you can see the terror in our eyes in a minute. You can watch the tension between me and her. First off, I saw that video and I saw how that got locked up. And you're going to see how I applied. I'm applying his techniques. Look at how I'm applying his techniques there. So you can see I'm locked in. You, Alicia is barely breathing. Now look at the joy. I was like, oh, we made it. We're on top. There it is. Okay, okay, okay. All right, we can come back this way. And so the reason why I bring that up is because we are going to read from a book in the Bible called James. All right, this is Jesus' half-brother James. And he actually became a believer in Jesus not while he was alive. All right. He thought his brother was nuts. All right. And so James became a believer after Jesus's resurrection. And in fact, James became even the pastor of the Jerusalem church at the height of its persecution. And I bring all this up because James had a nickname. And some of you may know this, some of you may not. It's not in the Bible. It's according to uh, church history and tradition. James's nickname was called Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. The reason why James was called old camel knees is because he spent so much time in prayer that his knees had become calloused. And so you see where I'm weaving this all together. And so with that, we are going to look and we're going to learn some lessons about prayer from old camel knees himself as we look at the book of James. And so we're going to read. I want to read to you uh, seven verses on the back end. All right. We're going to put it on the screen. If you have it, it's going to be James chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. It's at the very back of James. Um, There's uh, this letter that he writes. And very interesting. You ready for uh, a little trivia situation? I'm going to say it to you right after I read. All right. If any one of you wins prize money, from this triv- piece of trivia information that I'm going to present to you, I, you owe me a cut. I'm just saying, okay? You owe me a cut. All right, let's read James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. This is, this is the last verses of the book of James. 
He says, is anyone, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is any one of you among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church that they are to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins or he or she, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being just as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from their error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And there James drops the mic. No, no, just an abrupt ending. Nothing sweet, nothing. Just that's it. Now, here's the thing. I wanted to read the very back end of it because Paul and, and James and others, when they end their letters, they end it with this conclusion, like the, the case that they had been making the whole time. They kind of tie it up at the end. And so everything that we just read there is actually the conclusion paragraph of everything. You cannot understand this without seeing the rest. That's like some of you taking one of these verses, which is going to be this one, the key one, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. What a lot of us do is we take that verse and we take the puzzle piece and then we look at the puzzle piece and then, hmm, I wonder what, the, I, I wonder what this means. This is what it means. And it's like you are guessing the picture by just looking at the puzzle. Now, the puzzle only is one. When you put them all together, now you see the picture. And so that's what we're going to do today. Anybody like any puzzle people in the house? Right? Look, I've been trying to. I don't know. No one's. No one wants to. All right. I, I'm like, hey, let's try that. I'm like, yeah, puzzles. I'm. A, I, I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I may hate it too. But anyways, I don't know if you're a puzzle person. No offense if you are or not. But it is what it is. We're looking at this, and so to look at this, let's look at the other pu puzzle pieces to understand when he says again, old Camelones is talking about the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in it, in its effect. What does that mean? Because I want to make sure none of us are guessing what James is saying. Because James does not give us, and the Holy Spirit does not give us an opportunity to guess. He has been making his case the whole time. So let's look. Um, Joel, Joel, you're not going to have all these verses, but it's okay. So if you do, run it. But at the very, I want to read you the, the very first verse in the book of James. He opens up by saying, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Greetings. So in verse 2, he says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Okay, so we do have that. So, okay, that's the key verse there, guys. You cannot understand the last verse without understanding the first verse. So what is he saying? Consider it a great joy if you experience what? Trials. Trials. Some, uh, does anybody have a different uh, word? If you read it in your, uh, maybe it says um, afflictions. Um, maybe you, you may have some different things there. Now, trials, what that means, well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Trials does not mean my teacher at school. 
Okay, trials does not mean my mother-in-law. Trials does not mean the customers I got to deal with at school. Trials are not my neighbor. Trials are not my situation, okay? It, that's not it. Because a lot of times we look and we say, oh, well, you got to be happy when bad things happen to you. Or it's like, whoa, 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 be very specific because he is, there is, when he says trials, you got to read the next verse. What trials is he saying? Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There it is. So what kind of trials are they experiencing? Their faith is being tested. This is called like persecution. Remember in verse 1, it said to the 12 tribes dispersed among the nations. Now, you got to understand, guys, what he's saying is that James is writing to the Jewish Christians that are all throughout the, the Roman world at the time. Why? Because around this time, they were being hunted, persecuted, and they were fleeing from Jerusalem. Guys, James... Out of all of the Christians that were running, James stood his ground, stood his ground, brutally martyred, but actually also brutally martyred for his faith. And so he chose to stand his ground to help those who could not leave. You know, he was one of those guys that was going to go down with the ship. And man, that says everything about you. Listen, I got, I got siblings. Some of you guys have siblings. My brother, my brothers, my um, Kids, they all have brothers, right? And so think about that, that what would you do for James to be able to see not just Jesus as his brother, man, but as his risen Lord and Savior, unless he saw him died, buried, and risen from the dead, which made him remix. I didn't think, I don't even know you. You are my God. And so James has his confidence. And so the whole theme of this letter is Christians who are experiencing difficulties of living out their faith. You guys hear me? And the, and the difficulties he reads and he continues on, it's about learning how to suffer for your faith or according to your faith. Now, this could mean external persecution, people saying things about you, doing things to you, treating you a kind of way because of your faith, or it's internal suffering because of temptation. Every Christian worth their salt knows that uh, the flesh inside is a struggle. It is suffering. It is a, like everything in you. You want to live for the Lord, but there's also a part of you that feels like it's holding you back. That's part of it. It's internal, external. And this whole letter is all about, what's the S word that I just said? Sin is included. Suffering because of sin. Sin. I'm sorry. Suffering because of the faith or according to the faith. Now, remember the, I was going to tell you, I didn't forget, the survey. A little random question for you. The first book considered to be inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is this one. Before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their Gospels, before Luke wrote the book of Acts, before Paul penned a letter, the Holy Spirit chose James to speak for the first time. Interesting. That, so that says a lot because what does this one letter then? This one letter is like an introduction. Interesting enough, it ends with not a true ending, right? It almost ends like a climactic abrupt. Why? Because the Holy Spirit just got started. Interesting. And then here comes the rest of the letters, the rest. And all of this tends to 
go in here. And so you see here on the, on the title, it says, don't be fake, because the whole letter of the book of James is not only why and how do you suffer, but it's also a way of confirming if you are saved or not. And if you are, this is what to look for and, if, and things to be careful about. This is all related there. That's the first one. Oh, and interesting. You ready for another one? Which one is considered to be the first Old Testament book to be inspired by the Holy Spirit? Some of you may think Genesis. You're wrong. All right. Moses. Somebody wrote. It's, it's been believed that somebody wrote something before Moses ever said anything, before David, before any of these guys. Ready? The oldest considered book without, you know, it's hard to confirm to most part, but it's a general consensus. The oldest considered book of the Bible, the book of Job. Job is considered to be the first time the Holy Spirit wanted to inspire his written word. He starts off with a book about faithfulness in the midst of suffering. Job was one that had faith in the Lord. And we saw the faith tested throughout the entire process by the enemy, by himself, by his friends. And it's a picture, and it also has an abrupt ending, very weird ending compared to the rest because the Holy Spirit was just getting started. And James and Job are two sides of the same coin. Very interesting there. So we're not going to deal with Job. That's just me kind of putting a little curiosity thing for you to kind of read the two side by side. But let's look at this. So here he is writing about what it means to have spiritual maturity. In verse 2, he says, right, the testing of your faith. It produces endurance. Look at verse 4. And let endurance. So notice the connection there. Notice that being, when your faith is tested, whether externally, internally, it produces endurance. Another word, faithfulness, authenticity there. And the endurance, having its, what's the two word there? Say it for me. Full effect. Say it, everybody say it. Full effect. I need you to remember this word because it's gonna, James is going to say it again. In fact, you already read it. I mean, you've probably forgot. What's the two words? Full effect. Online, I need you to write that. Full effect. And what produces full effect? The endurance of our faith. It produces the full effect so that you may do what? This is the full effect that you may what? Mature and be complete, lacking nothing. So what is the purpose of full effect? You're maturing your faith, maturing your character. You guys hear it? Remember that full effect is all about maturing in the faith, trusting in him, growing closer to him. And so he says that you may lack nothing. Verse 5. Now, if any one of you lacks, hold, do you already hear, do you see the, the, the beautiful connections already there? He says the goal is for you to lack nothing. So if you lack, anybody listen, I lack and you lack. I'm not going to ask, I'm not answer the question for you. Who here is lacking? You do. I'm telling you right now, okay? We all are lacking. And the maturity that we get to, sometimes Paul says perfection, or James says perfection. It's about not perfection on here, but it's, it's ultimate perfection that God is making us like him. And so it, the goal is that you may lack nothing. But if you lack, what should you do? Verse 5, what does it say? Online, read it. What does it say? That you may lack what? It says if you lack wisdom, he should do what? Ask. If you lack wisdom, you should ask. Who gives? What does God give? He gives us wisdom generously, unbegrudgingly. He's not, ugh, mom, can I have $20? Ugh, okay. Did, you know, father, can I have some more wisdom? Again, like, you idiot, right? It's like, it is that. Bro, how much more? You're wasting all this wisdom I'm giving you. 
God's not like that. He does not give it that way. He gives ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Stop. This does not mean. This does not mean. Lord, I need wisdom on how to make a decision right now. Tell me, A or B, yes or no, left or right. That's not this. He is not saying, hey, if you don't know what to do at the moment, ask God, and he'll tell you exactly what to do in the moment, whether to, remember we talked about that, remember to, so whether to sell a house or buy a house, move here, go here, buy this, do that, marry her, marry this, Let's go to this school, do that. That's not this. Because you know how I know? Keep reading. And he says what wisdom is. Wisdom that comes from above and is the same way that even Paul would use wisdom. Wisdom is nothing but knowledge applied. Right? Everybody understand that? You guys, we call a wise person wise because they apply good knowledge. Knowledge is what you know. A wise person is applying what they know. That's well. You see what I'm talking about? As a Christian, what is knowledge that we shoot for? We've been talking about this for those of you that have been watching for the last couple of weeks. What is the knowledge that Paul says nothing else matters but knowing Christ, God? Knowing Christ. So for the Christian, what is the knowledge we are supposed to pursue? The continual growing of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. His, his pain, his suffering, his life, is all of it. So if knowledge is to know Christ, wisdom is to apply what we know. How do we live the Christian life? This is about general knowledge. You hear me? So, because what are these Christians experiencing? Our faith is being tested. We don't know how to be faithful in this, with this onslaught. He says, God will show you how to faithfully live for him. He'll give you wisdom, meaning how do you apply the knowledge of Christ in your life in general? And the more you apply the general knowledge of life in general to your life, guys, here's the thing. Paul says it earlier. Then now God, he guards your heart and mind from improper thinking, improper feelings, where you can now learn to make healthy, wise, spirit-filled decisions without hearing of us, says the Lord. Listen, I got three boys. My goal it's for all of them to move out one day, okay? All right? Me and Alicia's goal, <laughs> me and Alicia's goal, we talk about this. It was like, me and Alicia was like, God, this is our prayer, all right? This is our prayer. Lord, may they be able to move out, and, but to move out in this way, not because we don't love them or anything like that. We do, but we obviously, I mean, every parent here knows this, and every kid who's not a parent, you, you want this. Every, you know, no one here, all right, I mean, look at you. You guys don't want to grow up at one point saying that you, you want to be independent at some point, right? 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 You want to be independent at some point. You don't have to run to mommy and daddy for every little thing. I'm like, mom, do I do my laundry now? I'm like, it's two in the morning, bro. What do you do? Like, bro, like, should, should, I, should I, what should I do? Should I do it? I'm like, no, at some point, a parent knows they did their job when the child can raise, is able to make wise decisions on their own. But aligned with the heart of the parent, right? That's the idea. Same thing. You want to be independent, but still reliant on how on those things. Well, guys, listen, God, God here, he wants mature sons and daughters where when you know the general will and knowledge of God, it will shape your mind to the point that you will know what to do. And you'll know what to do here, there, because you will be able to make decisions with wisely and wisely and wisely counsel and godly wisdom. But the wisdom he says here is, again, how do you apply and live out your faith in such a difficult circumstance? 
You see what I'm saying? Our heart, our attitude. And so he, it's, this is all about this. And so the um, interesting, by the way, let's go to, um, I'm make you work, Joel, sorry. Look at verse 13. By the way, I got to give it up because I know I use a ton of verses. I got to shout out Carlos, Antonio, and Joel because they are hopping back and forth. You don't understand the matrix that they are. So let's give it up one time for those three who are always clicking those. And so I know it's not easy because it's all over the place. So I'm going to be there today. I'm, I'm going to take you all for a ride. So make sure your hands or feet are in the vehicle at all times. And so because here we go. We're, we're, we're going to wait, wait till you wait till we fly to the Old Testament a minute. Some of you are going to see a, an old story. Never in a way you never made these connections before. And James is making it, not me. All right. Verse 13 that I read earlier. If any one of you is what? He says, what was the first question? If any one of you is suffering. Chapter 513. If any one of you is suffering, what is suffering? We just, he just described it, guys. What is the suffering Paul uh, James is talking about? Suffering for the faith or according to the faith. You guys get it? It's, it's by temptation. or So you can't assume suffering is not, oh, I just had a bad day today. You know, I got to work outside today in the heat. I was like, that's not suffering. Yes, it is suffering. But you know what I'm saying? Like the suffering he's talking about is is suffering for the faith or because of the faith. So if you are suffering, what should you do? He just said pray. You know why he doesn't need to say anything else? Because he's been making his case his whole letter earlier. If you lack something, if you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask. Pray. He's making a callback to verse 5. When he says, if you are suffering, meaning if you lack wisdom on how to endure the faithful, I already told you what to do. Ask. Pray. To pray is to ask. To ask is to pray. So he says nothing else because that is the case that he's made this entire time. So when you're suffering, you should pray. And pray for what? Wisdom. Lord, how do I live out the faith? How can I be a faithful witness to you? And help me to do that because I can't do it. So in that context, guys, I, we're gonna, I'm going to fast forward through all this stuff. Because when he says pray for wisdom, he continues on and says, that wisdom is actually rooted in the word of God. When he's in verse six, uh, he said earlier, right now, verse five, now if you lack wisdom, ask God, verse six, but let him ask in faith without doubting him. For the doubter is like the unsurging sea, driving and is tossed by the wind. Doubting what? He continues on. It's doubting God's character. Doubting the nature. So when you pray and ask God for wisdom, you need to make sure is your trust and confidence in who he is. Because you can't say, James says, well, God is tempting me right now. You know, I prayed for patience and God gave me, he's given me an opportunity to be patient. That's called life, by the way. So no. Okay. I mean, God doesn't do that. I mean, me and my dad had an interesting conversation because he told me, yeah, he, he's heard people say, yeah, I don't pray for patience because if I ask God, give me patience, he's going to give me an opportunity to be patient. I don't want to do that. First off, are you hearing yourself? You know, he heard you too, right? And so I'm like... Right? Does that make sense? Like, you know, God heard you when you just said that. It doesn't make sense. But that's the other part, guys, is when you ask for wisdom, God, give me strength. Anyone ever prayed that one before? Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Give me this. Give me that. Never, Christian, please, never pray that prayer thinking you don't have it already. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, you have it. You have him in his entirety. You don't need a, more of the Holy Spirit in this moment. You have him fully. So when you pray in the future, Lord, give me strength. Not just give me an opportunity to be strong, because that sounds like that's going to be all on you to prove it to him. Instead, say, Lord, I know, help me to be patient. 
Give me strength. I know you're here. I have it. Help me to hold. God is offering this because we have it. It just means on using it. And so when he speaks of the wisdom, he's talking about daily bread. What Jesus says we should pray for and ask for daily. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We did the Lord's prayer earlier. Lord, may your kingdom come. How is his kingdom come? Well, for his kingdom to come, his will has to be done. No wonder that one's next. And for his will to be done, how do you know, how do you know what his will is? Well, his will is in his revealed word. Let your, give me da- daily bread. Do you see the sequence there? You can't have one without the other. You want the kingdom? You need his will. If you need his will, you need the word because the word is going to work on your will so that you may surrender and submit to his. And his word reveals his will. So, and his word is wisdom. In fact, the Old Testament, it says that wisdom is a name. It is God. And so to ask for wisdom is not to ask for information. It's to ask for him, to rely on him Rely on him in that moment. That's what he's saying when he says pray and ask. And then, interesting enough, he follows it in a sequence with the famous verse in in verse 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, about hearing and doing the word. Why is he talking about the word? Because he talked about gaining wisdom. So if you want to gain wisdom, you got to learn how to get the word. And how do you do that? Dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Every one of you, if you're going to ask for wisdom, you better be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do you see how that's, he's making the argument there. So how do you gain wisdom, guys? You have to be quick to do what? I don't know if we have it. Uh, verse 18, if you're not, I'm gonna, I just read verse 19 and 20. In order to hear God's wisdom, you have to be what? Quick, you have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, <laughs> slow to anger. Does anybody, have you ever heard of that word phrase before? Some of you probably have. Have you ever heard of that as, well, when it comes to a conversation between me and people, me and my wife, me and my kids, me and my parents, I need to be quick to listen, meaning I need to focus on listening. Interesting enough, God gives us two ears, one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we speak, right? Interesting there. So that talks about the priority of listening. And so have anyone ever thought about, this is just good practical advice for you talking to other people. Anybody ever processed it like that? Some of you are going to want to say, yes, but now you're going to make me tell them wrong, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, yes, it's good. So don't worry. It is good. Yes, we should learn to listen before we speak and assume. We, to be someone who is quick to speak is quick to assume things, quick to talk about things that they don't know what they're talking about. We do. We know people like that. We all know. Okay, no, no. we all know people like that. And then to be slow to anger, slow to emotionally respond. That's all that is. Um, can I use a modern term? Triggered. That's it. See, a lot of times we get triggered, which then forces us to speak, and then we're not listening anymore. That's, how, that's our nature. We trigger, we, we get emotionally, we, we emotionally react, we start speaking, and I'm not listening anymore because if I'm listening, I'm waiting for an opportunity like a double dutch in order to get back in the conversation. I'm not listening to you. I'm just listening for a gap. The second you take a breath, I'm talking, right? We do that. So here he's saying, if, by the way, Yes, that works with people, but James is not talking about how do you talk to people. Who are we talking to right now? God. We asked him for wisdom. So if you want to ask him for wisdom, you need to slow down and listen. Don't be quick to assume and quick to speak, quick to, and again, quick to listen to what? This right here. God has, because that's what he's talking about, his revealed word. Guys, forget, I mean, some of you, I don't apologize for this anymore. I preach the way that I do because I'm trying to train you also to listen. 
How, are you listening to what he said? Remember I said earlier, are you listening when he said suffering? Are you listening? No, you're not. Don't, don't think. Are you listening to when he says wisdom? Are you listening? I'm doing it right now with you. I'm trying to help you to understand it. So when God's word is spoken, we don't do this. Okay, I'm just going to pick. All right, Jeremiah 27, 1. At the beginning, no, that's going to be weird. Um, whatever. Uh, all right, for, okay, Lamentations 3, 1. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. Close. Oh, yeah, man, Jesus. Woo, I have seen that. Like, <laughs> like, Notice I closed it, and that's what we do. And unfortunately, if you have devotions that are like that, it's you read your little Bible verse, and you run off, and that's it. That's not wrong, but it's not bad, but it's unhealthy if that's your only diet. Guys, because you, you, can't, you, you cannot be quick to listen if you don't, what else was said in the context? You see what I'm saying? What does that mean? What, what, when he says rod, what did that author mean by rod? Well, look at the definitions. Keep reading. Oh, that takes time. I don't got enough you don't got enough time for this. Let, let, let me let me look at your uh, let, let me get your screen time. Let me see. If, you, you you got time. You got time for what you want to have time for. Everybody does. And so, you have time for what you want to have time. So, if you want to listen and gain godly wisdom, what is required for you to be quick to listen, slow to think? Well, this is what I think. No, nope, ch- listen. One, listen. Slow to speak. Slow to. Think. So that you can hear what God says. Interesting enough, you know what the next sentence that James continues on and saying? Oh, and by the way, it's not good enough just to hear the word. Some of you, if you've read James, you know where is James going to go next? It's great if you're quick to listen. That's great, but then you also have to be a doer. Did you hear that part? Did you ever make these connections together? You need to be quick to listen, but then you got to do something with what you've heard. Do something with what you reveal because he says the mirror, the word of God is like a mirror that reveals to us ourselves. God's word, guys, is a mirror that when you look at it, this is why I said this is daily bread that bites you back. All right. That's what God's word is. It is daily bread that bites you back. And so when you look at it, it is a mirror to show you that, you know, right now you could have easily been looking. I was like, yeah, I am the quick to respond and quick to speak and slow to listen kind of a person or whatever. I don't know. But when you look at it, it wants to, God wants to reveal, look at who you are. But then the word is not just a mirror, it, but it's also a window that you get to see Christ and see him at the same time. And the goal is, Lord, I see you and I see me. I lack. God, help me in this area. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be in this way. Help me to be more in this way. But then you want to now look for those moments and apply. Oh, God, here, help me to do. Because Paul says, listen, I mean, James says, I'm going to do that a lot. And so James says, if you were a hearer, great. But that's not enough just to hear. You got to apply it. Look for moments to apply it. Not just be a hearer, but a doer of God's word. And then he gives, honestly, guys, listen, from James chapter 126 all the way to chapter 5, verse 12, is examples of doing and doing it well and doing it poorly. He gives examples over and over again, which I want to encourage you to read that. One thing he says after being a hearer of the word, he says in verse 26, this one, maybe some of you guys have heard it. Verse 26, um, he says, if anyone is, if anyone thinks his religion is, you know, let me see. If anyone thinks that his religion, um, oh, he is religious without controlling his tongue. His religion is useless and it deceives himself. But pure and undefiled religion is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, to keep oneself unstained from the world. I don't know if you've ever heard of that verse before. Widows and orphans, what do they have in common? 
back then and even now, they tend to be the most destitute, um, helpless people. And by the way, widows and orphans, what can they do for you? Nothing. And so if you do something for them, it's because you are doing it just for them, knowing you're not getting anything back in return, right? So what is James saying? What does doing look like? Wow, it looks like loving others as Christ has loved us. It's exactly what Jesus said to do. And so here, does it mean literal? Yes, but it's also figurative, meaning you treat everybody like a widow or an orphan, meaning you ought to love everybody without expecting anything in return. You see that? We view everybody like that. And then, we, uh, and then keep our, keeping ourselves unstained from the world. Deliver us from evil, Jesus says even as well. Interesting enough, he says, this is how it should look like. And then in, he goes off for a whole chapter about the sin of favoritism. He says about how you, oh, some of you like to give certain seats and treat other people a little bit better. Why? Because you know you scratch their back, they're going to scratch yours. Is that what loving like a widow and orphan looks like? No, it does not. So he's giving the false application of what it looks like. And he gives all of these really cool examples there. He then even talks about in verse 12, uh, 14 through 26, he talks about faith and works. Because again, your faith without works is dead. That's what Paul would say. That would say James would say. Faith without works is dead. What does that mean? It means that if you truly believe, it should work out in your behavior. That's all it means. If you call yourself a Christian, then it should play out in your behavior. He even gives a, a fictitious uh, example of saying, if somebody comes up to you and says, say, Emmanuel shows up to me, and I was like, you know, Pastor Tito, I am, I'm so thirsty. Like, I'm so thirsty. And I know I got water bottles back there. I was like, I'm so thirsty. What can I do? And I was like, well, Emmanuel, listen, God bless you. May the Lord bless you and, and, just, and just help quench that thirst. And I walk away. Now, doesn't that sound Christian to me, though, to bless him? It sounds very Christian to me. But he says, if all you do is just bless somebody and there was something you could have done but chose not to do it, that's a sin, too. Because what if I was just bothered right now? I was like, bro, I just don't want to right now. That's what I want to go. I don't know. Like, what, if, what if that's it? It's like, I don't, I'm tired. Right? I don't know. So thank you for playing. Um, and so, but that's the idea. So notice he's talking about if you've really gained wisdom, if you've really asked for that wisdom, that wisdom should work its way out. Interesting. What have we been looking at with Paul all year? Filled to overflow. Same thing. If we are filled with the knowledge of God, it ought to be overflowing wisdom applied, living out, loving, encouraging all these things. And so belief is not enough. In fact, he even says in chapter two, yo, the demons even believe in Jesus. It does them no good. Think of that. Do you guys know that there are demons that have a better theology than you and me? You and I have some struggles. You and I see some things differently. There is not one demon. All right. Every demon has a better theology and meaning that they see God for who he is better than you see him for who he is. But that does not change their nature. You see what I'm saying? Just because you believe it doesn't mean you're living it. That belief has to wreck your heart. Because if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, it's going to come out. He even talks about that even with the tongue and the talking. Like saying if... Uh, can a fig tree produce olives? Can an apple tree produce oranges? No. 
And so it, it, ought, to, it ought to come out. If, if there's, if, now, it doesn't mean, guys, that we will ever be perfectly Christ. It doesn't mean that neither. Because I know sometimes there's some push out there that says, well, Christian, if somebody, you know, if somebody deals with you, they should get the fullness of Christ in you. Okay, well, be careful because you don't, it doesn't mean that you can't ever level up to be him. But yes, Christ should flow. If you call yourself a Christian, it should flow and be seen in the way that you live. He talks about it, the tongue, in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, in the way that you treat. All of it matters. And this is why he gives a warning in chapter 3. He gives a warning all about the tongue. And what are we supposed to do with the tongue? He told us already in chapter 1, what are we supposed to do with our speech? Be, what's the pace? Slow to speak. Slow to speak. He actually spends all of chapter 3 talking about what slow speech looks like. And it doesn't. And so he says, teachers be slow to speak. Teachers, somebody like me or anyone else. Teachers, brothers, because not many of you should be, he would say. Like, y'all need another job. Just saying. Not many of you should be teachers because because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Why will teachers of God receive a stricter judgment? Because you guys are making decisions about God and about life based on what I'm telling about Relay. Now, it doesn't mean, I ain't, I ain't, don't ask me nothing. You know, like, like don't ask me nothing ever again. I ain't gonna, I'm just gonna be here. I'm gonna say hello, all right? I'm gonna sing a song. That's it. Don't ask for anything else because I, I ain't trying for that. I, 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 don't, I have too much stress already. No, okay? We don't have to worry about that because he is talking about people who like to speak quickly. See what I'm saying? People who speak quickly. Oh, this verse means this, and what you need to do is that, and this is all about, especially when it's all about you, 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 you. Already there, when I hear somebody talking and using a text that's supposed to be about God and applying it to you, they were, they were not quick to listen. They saw that, they sounded cool, and they want to say something because they want to be first or whatever. It's not, guys, be careful. And then he says, he talks about even Christian, uh, for all of us, the tongue, you know, it's dangerous. We get our, anybody ever gotten themselves in trouble? All right? We all got foot-shaped mouths, right? All of us got a foot-shaped mouth, constantly, <laughs> every time, right? We all say things. We all get ourselves in trouble. If you haven't, you will. Because there's just something, why? Because, I don't know, there's just something about us that we want to be vindicated, we want to be right, we want to be first, we want to be this, we want to be that. Who cares? No, he says, this can get us in trouble if we don't tame it. So, um, let me help you here. I'm going to give you some. This is going to be an ouch one. Ready? You were, I was, I'm, gonna, I'm warning you now. So, Okay. Jesus one time spoke and said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, does it mean that every little thing you say is a, re- is a revelation here, but of the what? The overflow. So, Christian, do you understand that you can judge somebody and rightfully judge somebody's Christian maturity based on their mouth? I can, I can rightfully judge your Christian maturity based on how you run your mouth. Think about that on a regular. What comes out of your mouth normally? All right, not in the one time you stub your toe for the 1800th time and then a cuss word comes out. Oh no, what's in there? Oh, I didn't know it was in there. Oh my God, no, no, no. I was like, I didn't, I didn't think I was capable of such Phil. Okay, listen, <laughs> listen. It doesn't mean that. I'm talking about what? Overflow. 
If you got a normal potty mouth, then you got a potty heart. Okay, you see that? If that's the words that are coming out of your mouth, you're not getting enough of his words in you. You see, his words in you flow ought to mark your words. Now, he's just saying, again, Christian, he's highlighting because maybe some of these are suffering because they're not truly, and they think they are, but they're not. So even James is helping you to understand, this is how you know. This is how you know. It's in the way you treat others. It's in the way that you talk to others. Pay attention. If something is not right, you got to, of course, adjust. This is not what this looks like. So he keeps going, keeps going, warns about the teachers. And then in, in verse, um, he also talks about back again to, he, he said earlier about the double mind, right? Ask for wisdom, but don't doubt. Because it's like you have a, a double mind. I believe, but I don't. I believe, but I don't. I believe, I don't know what to do. And then in here he says, out of the same mouth you speak blessings, at the same mouth you speak cur- curses. You have a forked tongue. A divided mind and a, divi- a divided tongue. And so it says, no, be careful. This is, you need true, not fake fruits, but true wisdom in chapter 3. He talks about that and about the will of God and your will. This is why he earlier says, don't pray. Well, tomorrow we're going to do this and tomorrow we're going to do that. He likes saying, no, instead, say, if God wills. Why? Because, again, look at the arrogance of the other. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. A Christian knows you can't speak with that certainty. A Christian knows I have to rely on the Lord. Yes, we can make plans. Yes, we can look, but I ultimately trust in him. And then he talks about verses five, the God resists the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what is the grace? Wisdom. How to live this life out in wisdom. Meaning, God, I don't know. I don't need you. I got this. All right, cool. Go ahead. If, not, if, if we don't pray, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, God looks at us and responds, all right, not my will, then yours be done. That one's not good. That's not a good option. That's not a good option. And so when we pray in this way, he says, resist. He, he, says, um, he says it that way. What did I say? Um, about God resists the proud. He re-resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then he immediately says, so submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Did you know, a lot of times I've always, a lot of times I heard it quoted, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. There's another verse. Submit to God, and then you will be able to resist the devil. And what does it mean to submit to God? What is James saying when he says submit to God? Be quick to listen to his word. Do you see how it all connects together? When he says submit yourself to God, what are you submitting to? To him. I am being quick to listen. So to speak, slow to anger. When you are quick to listen to God's word and you allow the word to work in you and you're slow to, you're, you're, you're not the other. You are submitting yourselves to God, which then you're able to now resist the lies of the enemy because you're submitting to the truth of God. The better you are able to, and don't listen, you are not that special that the devil is after you every single day, okay? All right? He's not. You are not. You are not that special. And they go, I, I Everybody, look, I got him, all right? Man on man, he's mine. She's mine. Everybody else, you deal with him. I got, she don't know what's coming to him. All right, whatever. Listen, you don't do that. You're not that special, okay? But when he says resist the devil, resist what? The truth claims of the devil, the lies. And you cannot resist the lies unless you submit it to the truth. But then be careful. Because if you are slow to listen to God's word and you're quick to speak, quick to react, you know what you end up doing? You are resisting God. 
And you are choosing to submit rather to the lie of the enemy. And if you submit to the lies of the enemy, you find yourself resisting God. You resist the truth. And then you suffer because of it. And so all of this is connected together. And then he finishes on verse 7 and 12. He talks about rich people here like saying, hey, again, don't play with toys. You know, you leverage this. Don't just, you got to remember it's not wrong to be rich, but you can do it wrong, okay? And it's about using and, and loving others even in what you have. Being careful, he ends back with truthful, truthful speech. And then he, now we're back here again. He goes, and then it says, so if any one of you is suffering, according to the faith, according to the what should you do? Pray, submit yourself to God, be quick to listen, and he will do the rest. And then he finishes with the next one. What was, can we look at verse 14? Oh no, same thing on verse 13. If any one of you is suffering in the faith, pray, rely on the Lord, trust in him. If anyone is cheerful, what should he do? It says, praise. Now what would cause someone to be cheerful? Well, number one, this, this shows us beautiful things. If you're suffering or if you're doing great, what does both praying and praising have in common? You are looking to the Lord. A mature Christian doesn't only run to God when there's a problem. A mature Christian doesn't only run to him when times are bad. He runs even in the good times because God is good. It doesn't matter the circumstance, whether good or bad. You run to the Lord. You have something on your lips. We were singing earlier today. If you don't got a prayer petition, then you should have a praise report. And so that's the beautiful side of it, guys. So, you know, there's, the, you know, some days are going to be great. Some days are not. But what should be consistent? Our, us, our reliance on the Lord. That should be consistent. That's what we should see. But also, you know what makes us cheerful? When you submit yourself to God, when you are quick to listen to his word, when you gain that wisdom and when the word doesn't work in you, it produces joy and peace by his grace. So you are cheerful. So this doesn't mean that, you're, that there's moments in which you won't have problems. No, it means that, Christian, you can learn to suffer with a smile on your face. Interesting, Paul would say things like that, how we can be joyful in every circumstance. Same thing. That's what James beat him, though, to the punch. James said that first. And so he says, so if you're that, great. And then we're going to slow down. Are you quick to listen or you got to go somewhere? All right, you got to go somewhere? All right, not, not consensus. All right, there it is. They've all signed waivers. Here we go. All right, look at the next one, verse 14. Because, oh, this one's going to be worth the trip. Ready? We're going to take a scenic route, but it's going to be worth it. Look at verse 14. Is anyone, is anyone among you, what is the word? Sick. Already when I say sick and you read sick, what do you think? Physical? Cough? COVID? What else? Sick. Tired, right? That could be one. Sick and tired, right? There it is, right? Sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And so, but when you've heard already there, when you heard sick, your immediate was only physical. Let's be quick to listen. Is that what James was saying? Read the rest. If you're, if you're sick, what should you do? Call elders, the, the, the leaders of the church. To, and they will pray for you. Notice he says, well, pray for your, he, no, he didn't say you pray. Remember, if you're cheerful, if you're suffering, pray. If, if you're happy, praise. But if you're sick, have someone pray for you. Okay. Um, have someone pray for you, anoint, and have them anoint that person with oil, and the prayer of faith will do what to the sick person? Do heal them? Did it say heal? Fix? Make new? What did it say? Save. And the Lord will raise that person up. If he committed sins, he will be 
forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another so that you may be, well, there's the word. Doesn't it make sense for him, that word healed, to be somewhere else? Why way over there? And why is the word healed in the context of the forgiveness of, forgiveness of sin? Guys, slow down here because there's some, there's some things here. One thing could be this. A lot of times, there's a lot of people who can look to you and say, hey, if you are sick and if you're suffering, it's because you sinned. Ooh, that sounds like Job, don't it? Woohoo! that sounds like Job. If you're suffering and if you're sick, it's because you sinned. Something is wrong with you. You did something wrong. Because if you're in Christ Jesus, you should be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not, it's on you. What did you do wrong? That is Job. And here's James. That's not this, guys. That's not this because now, yes, can you do something in your pride, in your arrogance, in your sin, and now have a consequence that can affect you physically? Yes. You can do that. We've, I got lumps and scars from being stupid, okay? I got lumps and scars. I still have them because I was dumb. So, yes, you can sin and have a consequence to it, but that doesn't mean every sin and every bad thing that ever happened to you was a come. Because then tell me, where did Jesus sin? Because he suffered. Where did he sin? Peter and James suffered, but did they suffer and die? Did Paul suffer? Was he martyred early because he was sinful? Interesting enough, it's like the more faithful you are. Interesting. But anyways, um, guys, this is not, this verse gets used a lot to say, if you're sick in the church, have the church leaders come, and only the church leaders, not anybody else? That's interesting. But uh, so why the church leaders? Out of anybody. But oh, whatever. And so have them come, and they'll pray for you, and anoint you with oil, and you will be healed? It's not what it said. It's not what it said. Okay, here's the context. When you looked at this, what James is saying, some people, when you suffer, and if you suffer for the faith, and if you don't turn to the Lord and submit yourself to the Lord, if you don't submit to him and listen to his word, you will not have that cheer, the, the grace and the, and the work of God in you. There's still a problem there. But if you don't submit to the Lord, you end up resisting the Lord, and then it, make you, it can make you sick spiritually. This is about spiritual sickness. Your faith is weakened. There are some people here that were suffering in the faith so much that they just, they doubted God. They're like, well, is God tempting me? Because I don't understand what I've done to deserve this. And if he's tempting me, then what kind of loving God is this? And so this is talking about a Christian who is weakening in the faith. They're losing it because they're losing their sight of God. They're not trusting in him. They're confused. Why? Because they're submitting to the lies. And Paul says that the lies of the enemy stand up and build strongholds against the knowledge of God. And so he is saying, sometimes, guys, you can get spiritually sick. Christian, you can be spiritually sick if you keep secret sins. Why does he then say, confess your sins to one another? Sometimes. And here's the thing, guys. You can, and there is to a point that the scripture says that, you know that bitterness rots the bones? Do you know that even your spiritual side, you can, depression, okay, one mental health issues, rich is nothing but also spiritual health issues. Again, that affects your emotions, affects your minds, will eventually affect your body. So this all is connected. You are a body and a soul, guys. You cannot discount the two. Stress will kill you. And you can, and, and the sickness, secret sins will kill you. This is why you need, it robs you of the joy of your salvation. 
It robs you. This is why he says, so confess. Why? The elders, because the elders of the church are supposed to be the, the strongest spiritually. So if you are weakening in your faith, run to someone who's stronger. Do you see why? He didn't say pray for your healing and claim it in Jesus' name and believe. No, he said, if you are weakening, if your faith is weakening, run to someone who's stronger and they will encourage you. Anoint with oil is dual. It is physical and spiritual. You know that olive oil back then was medicinal. It was medicinal. It was good for healing wounds and for antiseptics. So when you athletes would get massaged with olive oils to repair their muscles. And so there were some Christians who were sick because they, had, they were suffering in their faith. Maybe they got beaten and they caught an infection and their faith is weakening. And so what do you do? Apply medicine, but do it in the name of the Lord. Our faith is not in the things of this world. It's still in God. But just because we have faith in God doesn't mean we can't use medicine. You see the balance there? That's a healthy thing too. Now, people can have their own convictions, but you cannot think that you can over, you can spiritualize everything away. Please. Medicine, God has given us gifted doctors and medical things for us to apply things. There's nothing, just, there's nothing wrong with you in that sense. If you have to take a pill or this or that, medicine is medicine. And so, but your faith is not in the doctors. Ultimately, it's in who? That's why he says, anoint them in the name of the Lord. We're trusting in them. So notice now that the, the, the mature Christian is to encourage the weaker one. And in verse 15, it says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Whose prayer, by the way? Both. The elder's prayer and encouraging over that individual now ought to help that individual to now pray in faith. Why do they have to rely on another person? Because they can't pray because they've lost hope. You see, that Christian has lost hope. They're so sick that they can't even muster the words up. But when the church rallies together and when we bear one another's burdens, now this person can pray in faith once again and it will save him and the Lord will do what? He will raise and restore and renew the faith of the person. This is a story of a Christian who has lost their fire. And it says, I don't care what you've done, God can restore your heart once again. That's why he continues on and says, so if you've committed, if you've committed a sin, God will raise you up. If you, com if you committed a sin, you confess it. You see how this is all related there? So confess your sins to one another. By the way, you don't, this doesn't mean you have to spill your guts to everybody or everybody on Facebook and Instagram, neither. You don't have to go live and say, oh my God, oh my God, I don't. Listen, I did that one time. I thought the first time I ever got, uh, the first time I was ever like sick with my, you know, with trembling like it, i was 20 well she walked away i was 22 it was in tennessee and this was me doing 20 year old stuff me and my boys were you know jumping in the jacuzzi jumping out in 15 degree weather jumping in the jacuzzi jumping out jumping well the next i caught what would look like covid but it wasn't this was like 20 years ago man i was sick i mean i could not my teeth were hurting from the chattering i thought i was dying and so i burst into my parents room because i didn't know what it was and i'm now i'm spilling my guts out because i thought i thought it was some secret sin i'm like i don't know i don't know what I'm doing. Look, I did this. I did that. I said this. I did that. I mean, they're like, what is going on? I woke them up at like 2 a.m. It was weird, but I was Hail Mary, bro. Hail Mary. I don't know what's happening. Nothing's working. I just got sick. But anyways, the thing, guys, is that when he look at the, this is the, the when someone's faith is so weakened, you, we don't, we rally towards them so they can pray in faith once again. And when you confess your sins, you should only confess the sins inside of the circle of the influence of that sin. So, you know, I'm going to use Euphania. So if you said something to, Gia, no, I was going to say Jimmy, whatever. But whatever. if you said something to Jimmy, then you don't have to confess that to Yvette. You just, I'm sorry. 
You know, you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You confess our sins on the circle of influence. Now, it doesn't have to be everybody. But it's important, and that raises us up. And then he finally said, for the prayer of a righteous person. Here's the key verse. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. What does that mean? I've heard that verse a lot of times, but you see, if you, if you believe or if you walk in holiness and if you work and if you, if you spend X amount of time in the presence of God and you will be able to do mighty things and your prayers are going to be more powerful than someone who did not. Is, there a, if, is this a form of elite, elite prayer? It's not because the prayer of a righteous person, what makes anybody righteous? Our faith in Christ and that's alone. That's it. The prayer of a righteous person who realizes I've been made right in Christ is very powerful in its, what was the word? In its effect. Didn't I tell you? Remember, I said, where, did, where else did James use in its effect? Oh, some of you guys, come on. Ready? Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. The testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. Have endurance have its full effect. Full effect in what? In maturing in Christ and applying and living out and being a faithful witness. What does it mean to live for the Lord? Trust in the Lord. That is it. He then uses Elijah. And Elijah says, look, Elijah was just a dude like us, but he, he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed and it rained again. So does that mean that God can give you the ability to go outside there and just manipulate the weather? No, it does not. So why is does James squeeze in this story? He goes in and out, double dips. That's for us to run down. Well, lucky for you, I did. And so here's the thing. Remember what's in the context of Elijah. If any one of you is what? Sick. The story of Elijah is in the context of if somebody is sick. Elijah's story, the nation was sick in 1 Kings 17 and 18. The nation was sick because they resisted God and submitted to the lies of the enemy by allowing King Ahab and Jezebel from leading them away from the Lord. And so they not only, they abandoned the Lord and, and they did all these things. And then God said, I don't want it to rain for three years. So Elijah, pray it doesn't rain. And so he prayed and it didn't rain. And so there was a desert. In, in Israel for those three years. Why? Because God wanted them to experience the physical and the spiritual. That when you run away from me, you are dry. There is nothing. There is no life. It is a desert away from me. And so Elijah goes and has two amazing moments on Mount Carmel, which we got to walk. We drove by Mount Carmel. And he said on Mount Carmel, we were there too. It was on Mount Carmel that he had two amazing prayers where he shows up and there was a battle between him and 400 other prophets of a, of a, guy, of, of a false god named Baal. And he says, hey, whichever one, cast down fire first. That's the God we're going to believe in. That's the one we're going to trust. So, all right, cool. You guys go first. The 400 throw a party. They're dancing. They're chanting. They're cutting themselves. They're doing everything. They're exhausted. They're this and that. And then Elijah's just throwing bombs out there saying, hey, you know, maybe a little louder. He can't hear you. Hey, I think he's taking a nap. Or, yo, he might be on the toilet, so you got to speak up. You know, so it was some funny little moments there. He's just, he's trash talking. We can trash talk as Christians. Hey, hey, okay. But Elijah did. Elijah was trash talking. He was talking smack. He was talking smack, and then he goes, and then he drenches his, he puts his, his, his altar, and they're like, Elijah, what are you doing? He, he floods it. And I was like, wet, soaking wood will never catch on fire. I was like, I know. With humans. 
but I'm going to do some, but, and he just felt led to do it. So then he get one prayer, Lord, God, I want your people to know you. Reveal yourself, not for me, for you, for them. Boom, and lit the whole thing to, you know, even licked up the water, all gone. And that speaks of Jesus on the cross. What, I mean, the, the impossibility of not only the bullseye, but then also that it would consume and light soaking wood. Sounds like the fire of God coming down on the cross, the wrath of God on the cross in a single moment, consuming Christ and consuming our sins once and for all. Jesus is a perfect substitute. And then he goes off in that mighty moment. And then he goes off and does another prayer. And God says, oh, by the way, now I'm going to make it rain. Not in any other way that you may think that, but in a better way. All right. And so he says, I'm going to make it rain for real, but I need you to pray though. I need you to pray to make it rain. And so he does. And he says he prayed seven times. Seven times he prayed. That's what he was saying that he prayed earnestly. A weird translation says he prayed in prayer. You know that you can pray faking it or pray halfway, but to pray in prayer means you really prayed, all right? And so he prayed seven times. Why seven times? Oh, because sometimes for your miracle, you need to keep going back to get your miracle, and he goes, no, okay, it doesn't mean that. Seven speaks of perfection and God's timing, and here's the thing. Why was he praying for it to rain? Because God said it would. We have a lot that God said would happen that you and I need to pray for. We got his word. We just got to believe and pray it. Same thing. And it rained. And then you know what he did? Oh, the nation of Israel turned back to God and, and they started and everything was great. And then Elijah got sick. Elijah got sick. When he saw that, Jezebel goes and says, if it's, listen, if Elijah is not dead by tomorrow morning. Elijah heard that. He left his assistant, ran off into the wilderness and just hid and told the Lord, God, I'm the only one out here, man. Now this one's after me and I don't know, like, man, what's going on and what the, what's going, man, I just want to die. He literally says, just kill me now. Kill me now. He was so sick in his mind and his heart. He wanted to die. He just had two of the biggest victories and amazing miracles ever. And now some girl is after him and he's, huh, I don't know, my God. In that, in that moment, in that moment, Elijah had a greater fear of Jezebel than he did of God. He doubted God's character. He doubted that God would protect him and keep him. He believed the lie. Now he was so sick to his stomach, he just wanted to die. And he passes out. An angel wakes him up and says, hey, God said, eat a snack and keep napping. Literally, sometimes... He was hangry like the Snickers commercial. You ever seen the Snickers commercial? You just got to eat something. He, he had been so serving the Lord, he burnt out. Guys, that can happen. He burnt out. And so he just eats a snack, takes a nap, then runs off. And, and he says, I need you to go 40 days journey to this. And so he did. 40 days speak of testing and humility. 40 days of Jesus in the desert. 40 days of Israel in the desert. Tested humbled themselves to put their faith in the Lord. Elijah, 40 days, prayer and fasting, runs off to a cave. And in the cave, God asks him an interesting question. What are you doing here? <laughs> I love that. God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what are you doing? How are you lacking your faith in me right now? What are you doing? And when he said, well, God, I'm just, look, I'm stressed out, man. I mean, I want your people to know you and, and I'm doing all that I can. And I don't know, I'm, I, don't, I don't know if it's not enough. And that's what he's going off. And he says, all right, hold on a second. 
And then it says a fire came and and an earthquake came. Anybody know this story? And these mighty things were happening. And it said, and he was not, the Lord was not in the fire. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not into this. The Lord was not into that. And then the sound of a still, small voice. And God was in the voice. Then it says Elijah put a cloak over his head. He's now submitting to the Lord again. He's coming under the covering of God. And he goes out of the cave to the mouth of the cave. He goes from darkness into the light. And then he says, then God asked him a question. So what are you doing here? Let's, ask, let's go again. What are you doing here? And then he says the same thing. Lord, I, I just want your people to know you. Now, that verse does not mean that there is such a voice of God out there that you can tap into. That God is so serious and wants to talk to us. Okay, I've heard it said, hey, you need to tap into that. You got you to gotta sacrifice. You got to do this. You got to fast X amount of hours. If you got you to gotta level up to be able to hear that hum. The translation in the Hebrew says, and a sound of silence. What does silence sound like? What does silence sound like? You know, God didn't say anything. He wasn't, hey, I'm right here. God just probably looked at him. <laughs> you know, it's like, He was in the silence. Immediately at that point, he says, so Elijah, I need you to trust me because your ministry is over. I need you to go set three other people up. They're going to continue what you started, not because he was being punished, but because Elijah was not supposed to be the nation's Messiah. Elijah wanted to do it all. And God used him in a mighty way, but he was just a dude. And says, I'm not, I'm done with you, but it's okay. I'm doing something, and I want you to know, sometimes I may be in the fire, and sometimes I may be in the earthquakes, and sometimes, but I am always in the spoken, the silent word. I'm always in this. It speaks of this, back to wisdom, back to quick to listen, because God is always, you want to hear him? Look, you want to hear him? God is in that sound. He's in that sound. And so when we look at this with Elijah, guys, then Elijah was restored and raised up. And what did James say? That the prayer of faith and one entrusting in the Lord, what will he do if we confess? He will raise us up and he will give us strength once again. And guys, this all speaks of that. And lastly, there was one more if you missed it. You guys see on the back end, it said, If, finally, after the story of Elijah, he has one more category of people. Of people who, when they suffer in their faith, this could be you. Brothers and sisters. That's talking to Christians. If any among you strays for the faith. Like, they're not weakened in the faith anymore. They've given up. They've checked out. They've retired the jersey. If they have strayed from the faith, from the truth, What is the truth? The wisdom that we should be asking for. If they've strayed from it and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover even a multitude of sins. And Proverbs says that it is the love of God that covers a multitude of sins. So even that, guys, how should Christians treat people who turn their back on the Lord? Well, we don't turn their back on them. We help to turn them back. We love, by how? By the love of God, by praying for them going after them, encouraging them, not abandoning them. And so this could be that as well. There's just some who are so weak in the faith that you can get to a point that you just give up. I don't know, maybe some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there. 
Maybe you know people that are like that or that, that maybe that is your fear. Well, what did he say? Hey, God can use you in the same way. It, it's, it, there's nothing special. It is all about him. Because it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect because the power is not you. What makes you righteous? It is Christ. And what is the power displayed in you? Christ in you. That's all it is. And so here's a, a bottom line, guys, that, that I want you to see. The bottom line is this. Our prayers will take effect when our faith is affected by the love of Christ. Our prayers will take effect when our faith is affected by who God is. Again, and what is the effect that we may grow and mature in the knowledge of who he is and grow closer because the power, what makes it powerful is him. And so guys, I want to ask you and to end with this statement. Because he said, who among you? And so I'm going to ask all of you now the same four categories. One of us is all of us. Who among you is suffering because of your faith? Now, maybe you may have that. Maybe you're at a job and you don't know. How, God, how do I live out my faith in this context? We've had those conversations, haven't we? You know, you, some of you just started school. You got to go to public school. You, you have this. You have your own jobs. And maybe you don't know. How do I live out my faith in this context? Maybe where you guys live. How can I live out my faith in this circumstance and where I am in my neighborhood? In my, how can I do? Then what should you do? Well, pray. Trust in the Lord. Keep getting, submit yourself to his word and he will do a work in and through you. And so if that's you, that's, that's you. And if you're cheerful, meaning, hey, man, maybe, you, maybe I caught you on a good day today. Maybe things have been going great and, and, and you haven't had much to complain about. Well, what should you do? And I'm going to ask you to take that and do it today. Praise. Do not neglect. Don't be like those people who out of the nine, uh, out of the X amount of people that Jesus healed, only one gay came back and asked for thanks. Don't be that person. If God has done a work in you and you are grateful for the work and maybe you are suffering, but you would see his strength in the midst of it. Whatever it is, praise who among you is sick? Who among you, if you're honest, your, your faith has been buckling because you're not sure what you believe in anymore because of this and because of that? Or, or maybe your faith is, I don't know, you've begun to be, be, believe lies about God, about how he thinks of you and views you, and there's no heart, there's no desire, there's no passion, there's no fire. Well, as, as an elder of the church, I'm here to encourage you and say, listen, those are lies. And God does love and God can restore. And it doesn't matter what you have done because can I be real with you? If you've doubted God's character, you've called him a liar. If you doubt the nature of God, you've called him a liar. So confess your sins and run to him. Some of us can be very pick, picky with and pity. And maybe we can be very upset about all this and what's happening. And we blame others. But then J James said, no, a mature Christian is not condemning others. A, con a true Christian prays for others. Guys, there's a lot of people out there, again, that, that can take this, twist this, and manipulate it. They are not our enemy. It is the enemy that is influencing them. And so we pray for them, and we pray that they turn their backs. And if that's you, and maybe today was a delay, I'm going to give it. This is going to be my last shot. I'm going to give God one more shot, and that's it. Well, I'm glad Jesus, he had one shot to make things right, and he did. He did. And I'm sorry if, if, if you are here and you showed up because you expect, you expect God to do something on your behalf. Listen, he, what he wants to do for you is beyond your expectation. It is better than you can ever, ever think or imagine. So I, I pray that you may surrender. But for all of us, when we suffer, why do we suffer with a smile on our face? And why do we pray knowing that God can raise us up? Well, it's because Jesus suffered in our place and was risen. The reason why he can raise us up is because he suffered for us. 
and was raised from the dead. And if Christ can raise himself from the dead, he can raise your dead soul. He could raise your, your, your dead heart. He could re-raise and restore that fire that you had that you forgot because you took your eyes off of him and you put it on other things. Well, that's a lot of time wasted. But you know what? You can always turn to the Lord and say, well, Lord, but I'm here today. Make the most of today. Make the most of that time. Because we don't have a fake God. We have a real God that wants to do something real. And when we pray and when we call on his name, he always, that prayer always has a powerful effect to raise and restore and renew us into a new life in Jesus Christ. But the power is not in your prayer. The power is in the one you pray to. And I pray that you pray to Christ. 